Chris. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? You doing good? It's good to be back. I was actually uh, gone for a week. You know, maybe some of you are going, didn't even know you were gone, but yeah, I was down in Texas. That's uh, where the y'all came from. You know, you can't. Anyway, uh, my youngest daughter got married last weekend, and so it was great to be in Texas and, and uh, just sort of experience that whole surreal thing and to have friends and family come down. It was great. And um, Jim Marriott, you know, if you guys were here last week, you met Jim Marriott. Some of you knew him from before and just said, what an amazing guy. And, you know, he's a, got his doctorate in music. You know, he's one of those music geeks, like geek squared kind of thing. And, um, you know, him to come up and actually give me the opportunity to go down, it was great. And, uh, but, you know, if he's listening to this podcast, which he says he listens, so we'll see. Uh, I want to say thanks and tell him that he still owes me because, you know, one time does not make up for all the favors we've done for Jim Marriott. So, um, anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but if he's listening, you know, he, just, he knows. So, anyway. Uh, but yeah, we're concluding a series uh, on Reconciler's journey. And so today we're actually going to see this relationship between Jacob and Esau restored. Um, and it's, there's some things that we could learn, you know, as we've been on this journey. I think you'll see in this story today all the things we've been talking about. And, and I believe you can see it. Hopefully you can, you can take God up on his promise that he works in these times. If you'll just trust him, uh, that I, that he can do amazing things in your life and in relationships that you thought were, you know, just hopeless. Uh, so I want to get to that here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, if you would, bow your heads and pray with me as, as we begin. Father, oh God, we, we gather and we so desperately need you here this morning. We need your presence. Your spirit is here and we definitely need your spirit to teach us. Father, we come and we have relationships in our lives that are broken, that are, are in disrepair, and there's things that we've done that have contributed to that. There's things that have been done to us, and we just, we don't know what to do. Your word tells us to reconcile. Your word tells us to forgive, and it just seems so hard. And so, Father, I pray that, that this morning, that that word that you've been teaching us for the past four weeks would just penetrate another part of our heart that we could not leave this place. We could not leave here without our hearts being convicted and broken and, and encouraged to seek reconciliation in our relationships that are broken and to be people of peace, people of reconcil reconciliation. Father, I ask you to do that here this morning. I ask for your blessing on all those gathered here this morning. Father, we pray, bless us with that spirit, bless us with that hope. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight. They would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you guys heard the, the term AFib or atrial fibrillation? You know, it's this condition where like the top part of your heart, those top chambers are beating at a really rapid rate and they're kind of out of sync with the lower part of your heart. And, it causes this fluttering sensation in your chest. And I say that because that's actually what I woke up with on Wednesday this week and spent two days in the hospital experiencing that. And I, I told Terry, I think it was watching that young man kiss my daughter for the first time that sort of like shocked my heart. I was like, what's going on? But it was just weirdest thing. And so, of course, you know, 
There's WebMD, and so who needs medical school? You could just go online and find out what you need to do. And so you find out that there's like 3 million people that live with this condition and have experienced that. And some people have lived with it their entire life and, uh, and, and, and deal with it. And it comes and goes. And I'll tell you, it's just really strange. And it, as you're laying in the hospital bed and, and you're preparing for a message, you know, everything is a sermon illustration to a pastor. So... <laughs> Just careful what you say to me. So it's like everything becomes a sermon illustration. And, and so I couldn't help but think about how many of us live with conflict and have gotten used to it. And we've just sort of gotten used to the fluttering in our chest or the, the anxiety in our hearts and the, and the anger that, that, that sort of fuels us and, and just the way of dealing with conflict, the way the world deals with conflict, that we're rightly, we're unrightly wronged, and we have the right to demand justice. We have the right to be angry. We have the right to punish those that have punished us. And that's the way the world sees it, but God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to be reconcilers, people that restore relationship, not continue to break them and not to continue to divide, but that we could heal those wounds. We can't change the past, but it can be healed. With God's help, those wounds can be healed, but it takes us to follow him. We continue to do things the way we've always done them. We'll just keep repeating our past. And so he calls us on this journey, as he's been doing for the last four weeks, to seek after him and his ways. And we started this series by looking at this Psalm 133 that David writes, that Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And he uses this picture of Aaron, the high priest, being anointed with this special oil, an oil with special spices that would only be used for the purpose of the priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year and being in the presence of God. And when he comes out of that tent, you can imagine that fragrance that goes with him everywhere he goes, everything he touches, everyone who sees him, everyone who gets near him smells that aroma, and, and you get this picture that it's a pleasing scent. It's a reminder that Aaron has been in the presence of God. And we're also told that it's like dew coming down from the mountain into a dry, arid place, that unity is life-giving. Not life-taking, but life-giving, and it's pleasing. And we have been called to be priests in the order of Aaron to be people of peace, to bring that pleasing scent into the world that so desperately needs peace and reconciliation. And we've been called to be ambassadors of that peace. And so we've been looking at this story of these two brothers, and we learned that in week one, the very first step in reconciliation has already been taken, and that's been taken by Jesus himself. He came into the world. God came into the world and took the first step and reconciled the world into himself. The true Prince of Peace came and paid the price for our sin and made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. None of us were born lovers of Jesus. We were all made that way by God's grace. God took the first step in reconciliation by reconciling us into himself, and he asked us to take that second step, and that's to humbly admit that we are not perfect and to humbly fall to our knees and repent, not just saying I'm sorry, not just being contrite over what we've done, but actually doing a 180 and, and walking away from that way of, of dealing with conflict and following Jesus and following his example. 
Not just saying I'm sorry and excuse me every time I wrong you because that's my nature, but actually seeing, no, I'm more than that now. The Spirit of God lives in me. I'm capable of so much more. And he calls us to that repentance. That's our step, our next step in reconciliation. And last week, Jim reminded us that as a follower of Jesus, we're called to forgive those that have harmed us, forgive those that have wronged us, pray for those people who hate you. Jesus calls us to that life of forgiveness, and that's something we're to give freely. Not because they've deserved it, not because they've demonstrated that they're sorry, but because Jesus himself has forgiven us. He's freely given us that gift of forgiveness. We didn't do anything to earn it. Before we ever said we were sorry, before we ever said we believed, Jesus said, I forgive you. And he calls us to do the same. And Jim reminded us last week, when we fail to do that, we don't make the person we're, we're angry at prisoner. We make ourselves a prisoner of the unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is not only a gift that we give others, but it's a gift that God gives us, that we can experience what it is to live as Jesus, to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. It's a gift. Reconciliation comes as we learn to repent, as we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And this week, we actually see a relationship healed as they follow those steps, as they trust God. We see a relationship that you would have to admit on the surface looks like it's irreparable. I mean, there's just no way these two guys can get along. But yet, something happens. Changes everything. Last time we saw these two brothers, one was running from the other. Remember, he was running to his mother's brother because Esau threatened to kill Jacob for what he'd done for stealing his birthright. And so he went to a distant land to where her brother lived and he would go live with him until Esau cooled off. And so he went and he encountered his relatives at a well. And there's this young woman that come, beautiful young woman, by the way, come walking toward him and, and he's infatuated and he just like explains who he is and turns out that's his uncle's daughter. And he's truly excited now. And so she runs back and gets her dad, and they come out, and, and he explains, and they embrace, and he says, come back with me, and he goes back with him, and he's there for about a month, and his uncle says, oh, well, you can't just stay here, you know, for nothing. What can I do for you? He says, let me marry your daughter. That's what you can do for me. In fact, I'll work for you for seven years if you just allow me to marry your daughter. And Laban says, deal. And so for seven years, which we're told went by like this because he just couldn't wait to be with Rachel. And so seven years goes by and he goes to Laban and says, all right, seven years is up. I get to marry your daughter. He says, yes, you do. And so that night they actually go to consummate the marriage and he wakes up in the morning and laying next to him is not Rachel, but her older sister, Leah. And the deceiver has been deceived. And so he goes to Laban and says, wait a minute, that was not the deal. It was for Rachel that I worked for you for seven years. He says, yeah, but that, that's not our custom. Our custom is not to marry off the younger daughter when the older daughter is still unmarried, so you will marry the older daughter. In fact, if you'll remain with her for this week, this wedding week, at the end of the week, then I will give you my younger daughter, Rachel. But you're going to have to work for me another seven years. 
So the deceiver says, okay. And so that's what he does. He works another seven years. 14 years he works. And during those 14 years, both women give birth to children. And their maidservants give birth to children. And he ends up with 12 kids. And at the end of those 14 years, he goes to Laban and says, okay, I need to leave. And he's like, yeah, you can't leave. You've been such a blessing to me. If you leave, I'm sure God's blessing will leave me. And what will I be? And, and my children can't leave me. And so he finally, he decides he's staying. He stays for another six years. So he lives with Laban for 20 years for Rachel. That's really why he stayed. And at the end of the 20 years, we're told that God comes to Jacob and says, okay, it's time for you to go back to your father's land, to go back to Isaac. And so that's what he does. He gets his family together. He loads them up on camels, and he sort of sneaks out in the middle of the night, and he doesn't tell Laban. He just takes everything that he's accumulated, everything that's been given to him, everything that he's earned, and he heads off for his father Isaac. But three days later, we're told that Laban finds out about it, and he's furious. So he gets all his men together, and he takes off after Jacob. And he catches them in about seven days, and they, they come together, and Laban is hot. But he's sort of controlled, because we find out on the way, God appears to Laban and says, when you catch him, you can't hurt him. Don't even speak bad about him. And so Laban comes, and you can tell he's furious, and it's like, if it weren't for God telling me not to harm you, you'd be done. And these children are my children, and these grandchildren are my children, and these are my flocks, and you took off with them. And Jacob is indignant. He's like, wait a minute. These are my wives that I work for. These are my kids that I, I sired. These are my flocks that I raised. You are the one that has deceived me. And he's sort of indignant. And, and they come together, and they admit basically what's happened. And they agree to live together, only apart. Set a barrier down, they put a pillar on the ground, and they, they agree, I'll stay on this side, you stay on this side. Everything is good between Laban and Jacob. But now Jacob has got to go still back to Isaac, which means Esau's there. And so he sends some sort of spies, he sends some emissaries to see Esau, and with him he takes cattle and sheep as a, as a way of sort of appeasing his anger, as a peace offering, if you would. And his men come back and tell him that, yeah, Esau's there, but he's got 400 men with him, and he's coming out to meet you. And now, of course, he's a bit afraid. You know, it's like, I could go back. I could go back. Siri's listening. I could go back, but now I have to serve Laban, or I could go forward and face possible death. And so what does he do? We get this scene in chapter 32 where he's, he's afraid and he goes to God and we get this scene of him actually wrestling with this man all night long. This man turns out to be God that he wrestles with. And he's asking for a blessing and he's asking for a blessing and in the morning the man who's wrestled with him all night, touches his hip and sort of wrenches his hip and gives him a blessing and renames him. He's no longer Jacob, but he's Israel. Israel meaning wrestles with God. And now Jacob is known by Israel. And he tells him that he blesses him and sends him off to see Esau. And so the next morning he gets up and who does he see? 
Esau and 400 of his men. And you could see things have changed because the old Jacob would have probably sent everybody else out in front, right? And he escaped out the second door. But no, he puts everybody behind him and he himself goes to his brother Esau and leads his family. And along the way, he's bowing down to the ground and, and, and calling Esau Lord and, and showing his contrition. And seven times he bows down to the ground, sort of like this complete, complete humiliation, this complete act of contrition in front of his brother. And as he stands up, he sees Esau running toward him. And what happens is Esau throws his arms around Jacob and they hug. And we're told they wept. 20 years has gone by. You know, brothers can fight, but they're still brothers. And twins, there's a special bond between twins, right? And 20 years has gone by. And they haven't seen each other. And those 20 years probably at that moment seemed like a long, distant memory. They're just holding each other and embracing. And Esau looks up and he's like, who are all these people with you? And he's like, well, these are my children and these are, this is my family. And Esau had to thought like, my goodness, I missed all of this. And the two brothers reconcile. The, true bro the two brothers who once hated one another now embrace one another and love one another and their relationship has been restored. And it's been restored because God has been working. And because they listen to God. See, when Esau was there between Laban, or when Jacob was there between Laban and Esau, he's there between a rock and a hard place. He could have gone back. He could have ignored God's commands to reconcile, as we often do. And he could have missed that opportunity to hug his brother and to be restored. But instead, he got down on his knees and he prayed in that moment. And we're told in 32, this is what he says. It says, then Jacob prayed, oh God, my father, God of father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Lord, you have, you have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And then he says something so un-Jacob-like, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. You see, this contrition, this prayer is a posture that we're called to exhibit in, in reconciliation when we have been wronged, because he was wronged. But we also see that we're not perfect, and we play a part in that, and Jacob sees that now, right? He sees that, and he's on his knees, and he sees that God has been favorable to him, even though he doesn't deserve it. Even though he deceived his brother and he deceived Laban, now God is, is reminding him of who he is and what God has already done. See, God was working in Laban before Jacob knew it. And God has been working in Esau. God is working. And what he asks of us is to trust him. Because he desires for you to experience reconciliation in those broken relationships that you think are... <laughs> that could never be healed. God can heal those relationships if you but trust him. But it begins with this posture of humility and seeing that God is at work and God can do this while you are powerless, while you are incapable, while you desire 
more anger. God desires peace. See that night when God wrestled with Jacob or told that Jacob couldn't overcome him. The two men couldn't overcome one another, but Jacob was persistent and he wrestled with God. And you can sort of imagine this conversation of bless me and I am scared to death and you're sending me to Esau so you're going to have to go with me because I am not going to see him alone. I cannot do this alone. And he wrestled with God all night long, we're told. And then God blesses him, but he wrenches his hip, right? Sort of as a reminder, sort of as a a new man, knowing that now he's changed. Sort of a, a humiliation. Now he can't walk all proud to his brother Esau, but he's got a limp, right? He's got a limp because his hip is not the same. He's no longer the same. He's got a new name. You have a new name. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You are a child of God. You are no longer your old self. The new has come. And he walks with you. And this humiliation that, that Jacob endures is one that allows God to bless him and to bless this relationship. And so we see God always at work taking the first step in relationships. We but need to humble ourselves and repent and trust him and turn and follow him. But here's another thing that we see in these kind of relationships. There are some relationships where there still needs to be boundaries. There are relationships where we've been harmed or you've been harmed by somebody physically, emotionally, psychologically, where it's not in your best interest to be with that person. It's not in your best interest to go and, and, and make yourself available to be abused and, and beaten or mistreated over and over and over again for the sake of reconciliation. We see from this story that good boundaries are healthy. We see that between Jacob and Laban. They agree, as long as you don't cross this line, I won't harm you. As long as I don't cross this line, you won't harm me. And so we agree that everything is good, but we know it's not good for us to live together. We know it's not good for us to be together. Jacob had to know that if he went back to Laban, it'd probably be just the way it was before. And so it's okay to forgive. It's okay to reconcile, but not be together. In those relationships where you've been harmed, where you've been abused, God's not commanding you to go back into that situation. Healthy boundaries are good. But in relationships where it's words, where it's just disagreement over who brings what pie to Christmas, where it's things that are dividing us, that, where it's our pride that's getting in the way, he's, he's calling us to just lay it down, to lay it down, because that's what Jesus has done for each one of us. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that Chris read just a few minutes ago is that we have been called to be ministers of reconciliation. This whole section starts off in verse 14 where Paul says, it's Christ's love that compels me to do everything. It's his love for me. It's him reconciling me, Paul, saying the worst of sinners the one who has killed Christians and hunted them down. God had mercy on me. Who would I be if I didn't offer that same mercy to others? 
who would I be? That's what he's telling us. Who would we be if we experienced that reconciliation, that forgiveness from Jesus Christ, and we can't forgive others? And we can't take the first step. Paul's saying, who are we? It's Christ's love that compels us to do what seems reckless, to love people that way. But that's what Jesus did for us. We we can be ambassadors of that kind of love, a love that the world doesn't understand because that's not the picture of God that the world has. The world has a picture of God that he's this angry God that seeks to smite you whenever you do something wrong. You know, these churches that put up these billboards that say, if you think it's hot here, you know, just wait. And how do you want to spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking? I mean, these kind of signs, they're funny, but they're, they're just wrong. Because here's what Paul says. He says, all this, everything that we have is from God. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting your sins against you. Not counting the sins of the people who harmed you against them. He counted those sins against his son. He punished those sins in his son. And he's committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. He's called us to share the truth with the world. God's not counting the sins of the world against you. God has not got his finger on the smite button. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus himself stood up and proclaimed those words in the tabernacle. This is the year of the Lord's favor, and we are called to share that message. And when we go just perpetuating conflict, refusing to forgive those people that hurt us, we're not sharing that message. We're not ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors of the evil one. We're only perpetuating his lies. And we need to repent of that and say, I've I've listened to the wrong voice. I'm guilty of that. This series has convinced me I am so guilty of that. But we're forgiven of that. Christ's love compels us to be ministers of reconciliation. That's a gift that we have. We don't have to be perfect because we're forgiven. But we have to trust him and we have to take these steps because when we do, we're like this fragrant, just this beautiful fragrance that goes out into the world everywhere we go. And we bring life everywhere we go because we're united as a church, as a body, as a group of believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We get to bring life into relationships that you thought were dead. And who knows, maybe your story, maybe that person that through this series that God's been tapping you on the shoulder and said, you know what? You just need to, you need to apologize. You need to forgive that person. You need to reconcile. Maybe that story will be a story that's told in your family for years and years and years.
Maybe that will be the Jacob and Esau story in your life. If God's been tapping you on the shoulder throughout this series, don't wait. You know, when you're sitting in a hospital room with a heart problem, for the second time in two years, you can't help but reflect on how short and precious life is. And I know some of you have been there, and you don't want to wait till you get to that place. And you don't want to get to the place where you can no longer say it to the person because they're no longer here. Today's the day that you need to begin that journey. Today's the day you need to start wrestling with God and asking him to go with you. He promises to, but you need to wrestle. I know it's scary, and I know you've been hurt, but I know the blessing that God wants for your life and for the person in your life. Because I know that's what God desires. That's what Paul tells us. It's what Jesus has told us. Today's the day. Begin the journey. Stop resisting. Stop being afraid. See if God doesn't show up. Would you pray with me?